Welcome to the sermon podcast of Grace Presbyterian Church. For more information about our church, please visit our website, gracechurchlaunceston.com. So where is the future headed? Where is the future headed? I think uh, most people believe that this universe is headed somewhere. I think most people believe that, that there is a future. Uh, the anti-slave trade campaigner, the Reverend Theodore Parker, as, and also was quoted by Martin Luther King Jr. And he said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Many people believe, I think, that this universe is a moral place, uh, that there is justice and there will be justice in the future. How many times have we heard it said that this attitude or this approach or law is on the wrong side of history? Have you heard that saying before, on the wrong side of history? Uh, That phrase, the wrong side of history, reveals that people think there is a right side of history, right? That the world is... Uh, moral and there is right and wrong and then and that there is a moral arc to the universe and they're all heading towards a better future. The world is heading towards justice being done. Um, I've been lately working on some photos for my father-in-law of Lake Pedder. Um, Lake Pedder is a lake in here in Tasmania and it once was this incredibly beautiful lake lined by sandy beaches and you could land aeroplanes on the beaches. Um, it was a bushwalker's paradise, the jewel of the southwest, they called it. And the photos that I'm working on, they were taken in the early 1970s, uh, just before the dams were built and the lake was flooded 51 years ago. And at the moment, there is this campaign to restore this lake to its former glory. Uh, the beautiful beach is just under the surface, so we're told. Uh, they say dams don't last forever. Pedder will be restored to what it once was. You see, underneath these sorts of campaigns and ideas is a justice thing, isn't it? Um, People think that injustices will be done and there is a better future just around the corner. The right thing to do is where the world is headed. There'll be progress towards justice. And you see this idea everywhere, don't you? You see it in uh, rights movements. You see it in... um, campaigns for the rights for women, for children, uh, the protection for the poor and the vulnerable. And all these things really are based on the premise there is a better future to come and we should be working towards it. But I want to ask the question, where does this idea of the future come from? Where does the idea that there is a better future come from? I suggest this is a very Christian idea. It's a very Christian idea of of the world, at least influenced by Christianity. As Christians, we believe in a transcendent God who is just and who holds the future in his hands. And so today, as we come to our last um, sermon in the series on Redemption Applied, uh, we see how the the benefits and blessings of what Jesus did for us are applied to us. And today we're looking into the future. We're looking into the future, a future that should shape our present. And the scriptures give us not just a vague or sentimental idea of the future, but a promise of justice and of a better future, even. A future for those who believe in Jesus is a real and tangible and physical place. It's a glorious future, not only for us, but for the whole world. Uh, Because the future is centred on an embodied, real, physical and glorious Jesus. 
That's what the doctrine of glorification is all about. It's about Christ and His glory and what He will do to us and this world in the future. Now, this is a future we look forward to and long for and pray for as Christians. And this future that gives meaning to us in our lives in the present. So, I just got a couple of points today and, and numerous sub points, but you don't want to know about all those. Uh, so, what is glorification is the first point. And point two glorification is centered on Jesus' return to the world in glory. So, what is glorification? And point two glorification is centered on Christ's return in glory. So, what is glorification? Well, it's a big word, isn't it? Uh, Romans 8 28. This is kind of like the theme verse for our whole series. And it says, Romans 8, 28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Throughout our sermon series, we've been looking at all those topics along the way, effectual calling, justification, adoption and so on. But today we're looking at glorification. What is it? The promise is that God will glorify those who are his. The Paul says there in summary that God saves us from start to finish. He wants to save us in Jesus and make us like Jesus. That's what glorification is all about. We're made like Christ. We have so many blessings now as Christians. We have so many blessings. We've been looking at them. We've been raised from spiritual death to life by Christ. We've been given faith to receive Christ. We're forgiven our sins. We have new life in Him. We're adopted into His family. All these blessings... But in the words of old Frank Sinatra, the best is yet to come. We're, we have a future in Christ. This is what glorification is about. When our lives are fully and finally made perfect. It's what God declares us now in Christ. We're declared now not guilty and righteous. But in glorification, that declaration becomes actualized, if you like. Our actual lives are righteous. It's when there'll be no more future aspect to our salvation because the future is present, you see. Maybe an illustration will help. Um, I think, um, maybe just think about the most uh, godly person you know. Um, Actually, just think about the Apostle Paul. (laughs) Let's think about Paul. Um, After Paul was saved by Jesus, we looked at that in our Bible study groups recently. After Paul was saved by Jesus on the road, he saw Jesus... Um, But after then, he was, I think, the most godly man that lived, I think. Paul followed Christ, he served him, lived for him, spoke about Christ, and he did this through tremendous hardship, even a shipwreck. Uh, And the Spirit was working through him powerfully. But then, Romans 7, Paul admits he struggles with sin. Paul says there, Romans 7, that he does things he doesn't want to do, right? Because you see, even the most godly person, even the great Apostle Paul, sinned. In this life, even the most godly person makes a minute amount of progress in our Christ-likeness, our transformation, our sanctification. We still sin. Now, if that is us and Paul, 
both declared righteous by God because of faith in Christ and at the same time still sinners. Now think about Jesus. Now compare us to Jesus. What is Jesus like? He's the sinless son of God, isn't he? Pure, wise, godly, upright in every possible way. He's absolutely righteous. That's what Christ is like. Now think about the gap between Jesus and us. That is a big gap, isn't it? The gap is vast. But the good news of glorification is that the gap is closed. You see, God changes us to be like Christ. That's what glorification's about. In glorification, there will no longer be this apparent contradiction of what God declares us to be in Jesus and our actual lives. We will be made like Christ. That's glorification. That's the final part of the blessings that we receive uh, because of Jesus. God restores us to what we're meant to be like, in what he's always intended human beings to be like and act like. In Christ, we are made truly and more fully human in every possible way, meaning no more sin, or no more sickness or heartache, no more illness, disease, rather complete joy and devotion to God, purity, holiness, righteousness, everything that Jesus lived for us in his righteous life, he passes on to us. And that act is complete in glorification. We are made like Christ. And so that's part one, part two. This is a completely different take on what uh, many people think about the future, isn't it? The secular worldview says we are but dust hurtling through space uh, on this rock we call planet Earth. We're here for a few short years. That's what the secular worldview says. Other religions have a different view of what we're like and what the future's like. But Christianity says there is a future that's more than nothing. That there is glory to come. That the end of your life now is not the end of your life. That the future is tangible and glorious and real. That God offers hope beyond the grave beyond the suffering and troubles we go through now. There is a God who is love and holds the future, a God who is just and merciful, a God who will make things right in this world and in us. And so the question is, what will happen in the future? What, what is going to happen up in the future? Well, I've also printed on your handout here, there the Westminster Shorter Catechism and this is really the second point of the sermon, just looking at this catechism here. Glorification is centred on the return of the glorious king. It's on the return of Christ. Um, but this catechism question just gives a, a nice little summary of what, what is going to happen. What benefits, it says, do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? At the resurrection, believers are raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted on the final day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. So let's unpack this. What does the future hold? And the first thing we need to see is that we'll be raised up in glory. 
by Jesus. You see, um, we receive these blessings from Christ. Christ returns to this world. The king of God's kingdom returns as king. He raised us up to life in glory. Um, the Apostle Paul calls Jesus' return, Titus chapter 2, verse 13, the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of the great God and Saviour, Christ Jesus. He will bring resurrection. He will complete what he already accomplished in his own resurrection. You see, Jesus' own resurrection from the dead changes everything for us. It forgives us our sins, our past, the things we've done. And it gives us a hope and assurance for the future. The resurrection, Christ's resurrection, is God's seal of approval on what Jesus did in his life, death and resurrection, life and death. It forgives us. It's the final and complete package. The penalty for sin is paid in full. The resurrection of Jesus assures our future that there is resurrection for us. And it gives and it should give us great comfort and hope even now for our days now. You see, uh, Jesus' resurrection gives us perspective on the troubles we go through in our lives. You know, our bodies, we think about resurrection, it's about the body, right? Our bodies, we're pretty frail, aren't we, I think? can be a little bit dodgy, our bodies. Um, one of our children the other day asked us why we sometimes groan and moan when we pick stuff off the floor. And um, he replied with a smile on his face, sometimes his back hurts so much that he has to bend over like a giraffe, you know how he's... Yep. Anyways... Our bodies uh, can be like old cars, they rust, they need new transmissions and oil changes. Our bodies decay, we age, and sadly we die. Death is the trajectory, isn't it? And death is powerful and grief and loss affect us deeply. Paul writes about this in the letter to the Thessalonians. You see, they were worried about this. They were worried about what would happen when they died. In those churches, there was confusion about what would happen if they died before Jesus returned. So 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. So you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that God will bring, the, bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now, the promise of resurrection isn't to say that death isn't real or that it's just a trivial thing. No, death is always sad. But the promise of resurrection is a promise that death is defeated. It's defeated. We will fall asleep. It's just a lovely phrase, isn't it, for death? We'll fall asleep. You know, when you fall asleep, you wake up again, don't you? God will bring us back. He will raise us again. The resurrection also tells us that God has an embodied future for us. Not only does it give us hope for the present, but it also tells us where we're going. The promise of resurrection tells us where we're going. And this means that heaven isn't the final destination. Heaven isn't the final destination for the Christian. Heaven, where God is now, is where we go to after we die, but it's not the final destination. Heaven is wonderful. 
Paul says it's better by far to be at home with the Lord. It's of great comfort to say to the Christian who is dying that you're going to be with Christ in heaven. You'll be with Jesus and there's great hope in heaven. But heaven is like a bus stop. It's not the final destination. The final destination, according to Scripture, is resurrection, lived in the new heavens and new earth. It's when heaven comes to this world, when Jesus returns. The final destination is resurrection. Resurrection also tells us that this creation, this world we live in right now, has a future as well. This stuff we're in, this world... Paul in Romans 8 and in Revelation and Isaiah and other places speak about this world being renewed. You see, it's not only believers who are glorified when Jesus returns, but bound up with this is creation itself. Romans 8.21, it's an amazing verse to think about. Romans 8.21 says, the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. At the moment, this world is under bondage in some way and creation is just waiting, waiting, waiting for Jesus' people to be raised and glorified. We are raised as Jesus' people and creation is raised as well. 2 Peter 3, uh, 15 calls it a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. You see, there are caricatures about the future out there of cartoon, a cartoon future of harps and clouds and things like that. That is not a Christian hope. That is not the hope of the Bible. The future is a real and tangible, physical world. Why? Because Jesus was raised bodily, physical, tangible. And in his grace, he renews nature, he renews us, he renews this creation. So what will our resurrection bodies be like? Well, we had that reading from 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, It is the longest section on this topic in the Bible. And verse 42 says, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. What will our resurrection bodies be like? Well, Paul the Apostle tells us that our material bodies that we have now, it's, it's kind of like the same but different, same but different uh, than our resurrection bodies will be given a a spiritual body. Now, what does that mean? Well, well, Paul tells us here, it's a body that we're not subject to decay. The word there is imperishable. We're changed, we're raised in glory. Imperishable. What does this mean? Verse 49, And just as we've borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Now, in this process of glorification that God has begun in us now, he's transforming us right now to be more like Jesus, but when he comes again, he will complete this work with our bodies, more fully and finally in resurrection. We bear the image of the heavenly man, that is Jesus. 
Paul says, verse 52, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Imperishable, you know, same hands, same feet, personalities, but also different, change for the better. Uh, can you imagine what it means? I think it's hard to. We don't really know. There's mystery here. But what Scripture says, there is change. It's better. We don't decay. There'll be no more sickness, no more annoying colds, no more injuries and pain. We'll be healed and whole and be like Jesus. Revelation 21, God promises that he'll wipe the tears from our eyes. The future glorification is resurrection in a renewed world. But the catechism question also raises, um, yeah, no pun intended, raises the topic of judgment. The Christian will be acquitted in the judgment, it says there. Now, you've probably heard about Judgment Day. There was probably, I think there was an old Terminator movie called Judgment Day. Um, but it's also a biblical truth. When Jesus returns, he'll return, return as the judge of the living and the dead. Now, many people think that the future is a better place. It's brighter, that there'll be justice. One day wrongs will be righted, but the good news is that Jesus will accomplish this. That's what Judgment Day is all about. And on that last day, all people are raised, and all people will face judgment. In fact, 2 Peter says that angels will be judged on that day as well. Romans 2.5 says, God will repay each person according to what they've done on that day. 2 Corinthians 5.10, for all, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what is done in the body, whether good or evil. Everyone will receive a reward or a punishment from Jesus on that day. Those who haven't trusted in Jesus will be shown very clear evidence of their sin. They'll be cast out of God's favourable presence forever into hell. But for the Christian, those who trust in Jesus, Judgment Day isn't a day to cower before or fear. 1 Peter 4.13 says, But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. When the King returns, when Jesus returns, it's a day of joy. It's a day of joy. If we're united to Christ, if we're a Christian, we've already been declared not guilty. If we are in Christ, we're already, already acquitted because of Christ. We have the Spirit in us as a guarantee of our hope. The final judgment, that judgment day, isn't a day to fear, but it is something, a day to take seriously. For we all stand before Christ as judge, and God does weigh up what we've done in our lives. Judgment will show up whether our faith in Jesus has produced fruit the fruit of love and good works done in Jesus' name. He'll say to us, well done and good and faithful servants. But if we're trusting in Jesus, it's not a day to fear. It's a day of happiness and joy. We'll be, why? Because we'll, see, we'll be seeing Christ. We'll be seeing the gospel so clear. We'll be seeing so clearly that the punishment for our sin fell on Jesus that the justice of God was satisfied by Jesus' sacrifice. But I also want to say that when we, when we speak about judgment, if you're not a Christian here today, please don't get this wrong. To face Jesus without Him as your Saviour, this is not where you want to be. 
But the gospel is, if you trust in him, if you repent of your sin, if you turn to him, you can join in the joyful celebration when Christ returns. That is the way to escape judgment and the guilty verdict on that day. So judgment is a, a day is an acquittal for the Christian. So what will life be like in this new world? What will our future be like? Well, this is uh, the last point of the catechism here. We'll be perfectly blessed and fully enjoy God for all eternity. We'll be perfectly blessed and fully enjoy God for all eternity. Now, we might have all sorts of questions about the future. What will this world look like? Uh, We know there will be some things that carry on, some things that are different. Some things will be the same, but different. Will we read books? I don't know. Will we see our pet dog? I don't know. Will there be cities or or your favourite park? We can guess, even educated guesses on some of these questions. I assume based on what we have now and the good things of this world might continue on. Human development, creative pursuits, there'll probably be work for us to do because we're we're embodied people after all. God gives us work to do. Good things that God calls us to do now. I reckon there'll be some of that in the new creation. But we don't really know the answers to all those questions, really. The scriptures does, doesn't say too much about that. But what we do know is really great. It's really, really good. Uh, the book of Revelation 22, chapter 22, tells us a few things. Imagery, yes, but it conveys true things about the future. Revelation promises a new Jerusalem. Uh, Within the city is a garden watered by God. It's a city. There's a tree of life. There's no longer anything accursed in that place. No bad things are in the new world. It's described in the language of Eden, but it's not quite Eden either. It's Eden, but better. And at the centre of it all is the throne of God. The greatest blessing of all that is Revelation 22 verse 2 is... We will see his face. That's the greatest blessing of the new world. We will see the face of God. We will behold the glory of God. It's really an amazing thing. We will see the face of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, angels have to cover their face before God. Moses in the book of Exodus didn't get to see God's face. Ezekiel was given a vision of God, if you remember Ezekiel, but he never saw his face. But Revelation 22 verse 2, they will see his face. We won't have to leave God's presence. The new heavens and earth are forever, for all eternity. We'll never have to wait. There'll be nothing wrong there. We'll have fellowship with God forever. And God forever will dwell with his glorified people, will be in the glor- his glorious presence for eternity, enjoying and loving and serving. There will be eternal happiness. And all this is because of Christ. You see, the future is all bound up in him, his return, his resurrection. The blessings that he won, he applies to us in the future. This is the future that Jesus won for us. It's where he's leading us and guiding us through our lives. Now, many people believe this universe is headed somewhere, somewhere better even, that there will be justice, 
there's a brighter tomorrow, that all the wrongs we face, that there's a moral arc headed towards justice. Christ, not secularism or any other religion or worldview, offers a better future. For Christ is the grounds and hope for the future. He is the one who is bringing us home to be with him, to glorify us, to fix us up, to remake this world. We will be with him and we'll see him. We'll see his face. Now, kids, you might be waiting for the school holidays. Maybe parents, you're waiting for the school holidays. Maybe you're a person who loves Christmas and you just can't wait for Christmas. It's nearly October and time to put on the Christmas music. The build-up is enormous. You just can't wait. You can't wait for the glorious day to arrive. So how much more amazing is our future in Jesus? I hope you have a sense of anticipation and excitement. Just imagine and believe what God says and we'll behold our God and we'll see him. Amen.